You are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. It's good to be with you guys this morning. I um, want to start with Colossians 2, 9 through 10, uh, kind of to set the stage and to continue what uh, David was talking to us about, about where we are uh, in the thought process of fully alive and fully changed. It says, all of God lives fully in Christ, and you have a full and true life in Christ. Part of being fully alive is being fully changed. I remember making a decision myself to bring my diminished and broken and sinful self to Jesus and allow him to start the process of changing me and helping me to be fully alive. And so uh, I'm always excited to share that with other people. And this morning we're gonna talk about or begin talking about this idea of being fully changed. I stand up here this morning on the heels of, not too long ago, being on our Nexus Student Ministry Winter Retreat, uh, which is one of my favorite times of year. Uh, it's a crazy weekend. We pack a lot into a weekend where we take all of our junior and senior high school students away. Um, I happen to be wearing the shirt from our retreat that may be making you feel like your eyes aren't working right. Uh, they are working right. Um, our theme was 2020, and we talked about vision, and uh, it was a great time. And we, we did all the stuff I love to do. We worshiped, and we spent time together talking about stuff that really matters. We laughed. We said a lot of dumb things to each other. Uh, we did fun things with each other, and it was a great, great weekend. And many of you were involved by way of helping students get there, by uh, sponsoring kids to be able to go. And we have a bunch of our students I see in here. I know I share uh, a couple people are wearing the shirt once in a while. You'll see it around. Uh, so uh, the students that are in here, are hopefully you're thinking some good thoughts right now and remembering some good times. Uh, well, one of the things that we get to do at Winter Retreat, uh, we go to a ski resort, and so we get some slope time while we're there. And uh, I brought a picture with me this morning of uh, us, a few of us, on top of a mountain, maybe it's not a mountain, it's a hill. If you're from Pittsburgh, hill is, is adequate. You know, it's a good thing to say. I mean, we're not in Colorado here, so it's not really a true mountain. Um, I mean, I haven't even been to Seven Springs. So this is probably more like a hill, which is really a mountain to me. And uh, I feel like I'm really doing it when I'm out there. Um, so we're out here on this uh, mountain and, you know, we got to get a picture of that beautiful background there. So we pause for a picture and there's no way you're going to tell who's in this picture. I mean, it could be me or anybody, right? Look at the equipment that we have on. Um, I'm there. My wife, Shelly, is next to me. I'm in the, the uh, uh, little bit of blue coat. And then uh, I'll, I'll go to the end. That's Dana Nichols, one of our kids' ministry directors that's on the outside edge there. And then sandwiched between us is who I believed all day was Parker Ammerman. I really think that it was him. I still believe that it was Parker, but look at him. I mean, it could have been any kid that just kind of skied up to us. Uh, he's all covered up there. It was Parker. It was Parker, uh, one of our uh, students at Nexus, and we got to share some time. That particular day, that particular run, that was a group that we ran into each other, and we were spending some time together on the slopes, um, and so we stopped, and we paused to take this picture because of the great background. We do this, don't we? Like we have a great day, have a little bit of an adventure, and you take a picture of the moment that you feel like is a great moment or the best moment that has the, the best scenery, and you take the picture. But there are things that are not pictured clearly on these trips that we take. Now, I don't know if you guys are skiers, if you've ever tried to ski, if you've been around skiing. 
there are a lot of things that you are not seeing in this picture from the top of the mountain. If you tried to get into ski boots before, I would liken it to trying to get your foot to fit into a block of wood and then walk around with it and then put something on that block of wood and try to move around some more. It is a brutal process. So what you're not seeing here is this really terrible, honestly, process of not only, now forget about the ski boots, forget about all of that, you gotta get to the retreat, you gotta plan, you gotta register, you gotta pay for it. Then you get to the day where you're gonna go have fun skiing and you go into this crazy area where people's equipment is everywhere and there's hustle and bustle and you got your coat on, you got all your layers on and you're starting to sweat because you're inside still, then you've got to like deal with these ski boots. And it's crazy how the technology really has not changed a whole lot. You'd think with like cars that can drive you everywhere just by telling them and like flying around spaceships, the ski boot technology could have gotten better. But it's just this terrible process, right? And if you've not been skiing, I encourage you just for fun sometime to just try to get into a pair of ski boots to see what it's like. And honestly, the process is so awkward and difficult. You're trying to cram your foot into this inflow flexible plastic boot. There are clips everywhere. Once you get the clips clipped, you're like, is it too tight? It feels too tight. Is this right? Is this not right? You're, you're starting to get really sweaty. Unzip your jacket and you're like trying to fan. You get back down. You're working on your boots and you're cranking a little tighter and then you can't get one of the clips and you're pushing out your hands hurt. And you're like, hey, can you come help? And someone comes over and they're trying to do it. And then you get out the door and I was walking with a couple of our leaders who were kind of newer to skiing. I'm like, hey, those two clips probably need to be buckled for you to do this whole skiing thing so you're trying to help your friends and really and that's you know then you got to make sure your skis are adjusted right are they going to pop off at the right time is it the right length it's this whole thing and during that process and I'm not an avid skier really I'm like uh, bottom end of mediocre I like doing it it's fun I'm kind of safe and slow and just relaxing but during this process every time if I don't say it out loud at least in my mind I always think like I it's like worth it right now. Like, and I've been skiing, you know, it's like, I don't know if I want to go through this right now. But then when you get up there, you're like, but then you get out, right? And just getting on the lift can be a process. There's like this shuffle thing that you're doing. It's like awkward and you get up and then the lift's coming around. If it's coming too fast, it might hit you at the wrong time. I've, I've fallen. There one one retreat. I totally fell onto the skis of two kids. They had to stop the lift. They fell off on top of me. People are like lining up. It's this whole process. Then when it hits you, you kind of like fall back into your seat. Say, is this the way this is supposed to go? And do you put the bar down? Do you leave it up? Some people are like, oh, I'm scared. Put the bar, leave it. So you you do that. And then you get to the top. Think, okay, we're about to do it right now. You got to get off the lift. So then you're getting ready to get off the lift. And that's tricky, right? You got to make sure you're doing it just right. I've seen seasoned skiers just bite it right there off the lift. They're falling, just sprawled out. Skis pop off, lift stops. People are waiting. And not to mention, I left out this part. Sometimes on the lift when you're going up. You're like, this is freezing. It's so cold. And you're on the lift like 10 times more time than you are skiing down the hill. It's this whole process, but that picture looks great, doesn't it? <laughs> it's awesome. I do love it. I do love it. I love the process. But the point is, like, this is just a little picture from the top of the mountain that doesn't show you the whole process and what goes into it. There's so much that goes into it. Same thing. Maybe you've taken a hike or you've been on a little adventure of your own. You don't take pictures of the blisters on your feet, you know, and post those. You don't take pictures of like boring, unremarkable trail things. You know, it's usually these types of pictures that we show. The picture from the top is what we all want. Rarely do we see pictures of the other parts of it. 
You don't see all of those steps, all of those grueling things, all those average, ordinary things that go into the picture from the top. And we all want it. But what does it take to get there? That's the question I want you to be thinking about. It's the question I'd like us to have in view as we're looking at our text. That picture from the top, what does it take to get there? I recently had a conversation, had the privilege of having a conversation with a woman in her 90s. And I was with a friend from Riverside here, and we were in her apartment talking with her. She was a remarkable woman. And we spent some time talking about various subjects. And I couldn't help but thinking as I was interacting with her that this is kind of like a picture from the top. Looking at what she had become, looking at this woman of God who had given her life admirably and nobly in ministry and was still so engaged, I remember looking at her and thinking, like, this is like a picture from the top, but how do you get there? What goes into becoming the kind of person like her that is standing before me today that I'm talking to? What does it take to get there? Let's ask the Holy Spirit to help us this morning. Holy Spirit, we do believe that you have given these scriptures to us as a gift. You want us to understand some things. So this morning as we look at Mark chapter 9, and we look at an experience that you wanted us to have before us, that you would help us to think the right thoughts, to see the things you want us to see. Help us, God, to internalize what we are thinking and what you're showing us, and that you would show us the decisions that you want us to make as a result of what we interact with this morning. Open our eyes and help us to move forward in the appropriate way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So let's start working on this question, what does it take to get there, by looking at a picture from the top given to us in Mark chapter nine, and we're gonna look specifically at verses two through 10. And a lot has happened to this point. I would encourage you, I would invite you to go into the app and you can listen to the previous messages that have led up to this. A lot of things have happened in the life of Jesus and the experience of his disciples following him that leads us to this point where we pick up in Mark chapter nine, verse two. And a little uh, bit of a context here, um, we're about to see three of Jesus' followers who were part of a tighter-knit uh, group of disciples. And, you know, it can look like, it's like, oh, were they like his favorites? I don't think that was it at all. Uh, Jesus had a role for these three disciples to play. And so when he pulled them aside, as he frequently did, and when he showed them things that related to the role that he wanted them to have in his kingdom and in leadership and in moving his kingdom forward. So we're seeing him take these three disciples, Peter, James, and John, He's pulling them away because he wants them to experience something specific as part of his plan for their role in his kingdom. And so that's what we're seeing in Mark chapter 9. And interestingly enough, one of them, Peter, um, probably spent a lot of hours just sitting with the author of the book of Mark and just talking to him and telling him about all of these experiences. So Mark gives us this record largely as a result of his relationship and his time spent with Peter, who walked very closely with Jesus. And so we're benefiting from that relationship between Mark and Peter and the roles that they played um, in ministry and in the kingdom of God. So let's get into it. Mark chapter 9, verses 2 through 10. Very, very unique experience that we're reading about here. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. 
There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly they looked around and no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. There's a lot going on here. First thing I kind of notice when I'm reading this is that word transfigured. It's an interesting word. It's actually the word where we get our word metamorphosis from. He was transfigured before before them. So Jesus brings these guys up on this mountain and something crazy happens. He just gets really shiny all of a sudden. They didn't know what to expect. They're standing there. And it's interesting that Peter, I can just imagine Peter sitting with Mark and he's trying to describe this. And Mark's like, so, okay, so tell me what's happened? He's like, he just got really, he was white and shiny and I don't know, like it was a supernatural, like shiny God thing. So Mark's probably like, how do I write this down? I don't know, like, okay, so his clothes were just whiter than anyone can bleach them. So that you can see Peter probably struggling to communicate what he saw. And then you see, maybe he went to James and John, where you guys got anything to add? He's like, oh man, he's really shiny. And so Mark's trying to figure it out. And so he's like, I'll, I'll go with the, I'm going to go with the clothes, the bleach clothes metaphor. I'm going to camp out with that. And he just tries to describe that. And he's communicating this supernatural, actual event. This historical event that they were witnessing, but did not have the framework to process it and actually even verbally describe it. They were seeing something that was so far out of the realm of their understanding that they were struggling to grasp it. And of course, then you've got Peter, and I can identify with Peter very much because I'm a verbal processor. So when something's going on, if it's awkward, if it's weird, I start talking. If something's quiet, I just start rambling to fill the space. And you know, you can say a lot of dumb things when you do that. And so God bless Mark. I think he liked Peter because that parenthetical note there is a suggestion that Mark's trying to like help Peter out here. Because he's like, Rabbi, put some tents up for these guys. And Mark's like, they were, they were scared. And to be fair to Peter, I would be freaking out too. And I probably would have said the same thing. You know, are we going to hang out for a while? Are we going to get some coffee? Like, do... Do they eat, drink? You know, it's a very awkward experience. So Peter's trying to engage and stay at Peter and or James and John knew knew better, I guess. Just probably probably nudge them. Jesus does not respond, right? Uh, so they're talking, and then all of a sudden it's just over. You hear this voice from the cloud, and it's over. Wow, what a shocking and quick experience. What does this all mean? What does this all mean? There's a lot of stuff you can look at and ask questions about and interact with there. But one thing you just got to see right off the bat, one thing that I couldn't miss, and it's one of those things you just have to say out loud and acknowledge it because it's the beginning of all the other understanding here, is that Jesus is God. Man, if there was any question leading up to this point where he's feeding the 5,000, healing the sick, healing uh, different people, saying very awesome things, 
wow, this is like, he's not just a rabbi, he's not just a teacher, he's not just a prophet, he's not just a guy, he is God, because you can't get that shiny if you're not God. So there's this experience that's very similar. If you look back at Exodus 34, what did Moses do? He went up the mountain and he met with God and he had an experience with God and he came back down and was visibly altered from it. Like he was in some kind of super tanning booth and people were like, whoa, like you look different. You were with God. Moses comes down. So Jewish people, when I say Jewish people, you hear that in the church context, uh, I think a good way to talk about that is uh, the, the Jews were like the first people group that God formally introduced himself to by name uh, to begin his, his work here uh, to restore people to himself. And so the Jewish people would have heard Peter and James and John talking about this. They would have read what Mark said and they would have thought, wow, that's very similar to Moses going up to meet with God on the mountain. Very similar experience that Moses had. And then you've got Moses and Elijah showing up. I don't know if they were up there like figuring out who was gonna go down and and do the meeting on the mountaintop, but it's interesting that those two were there because Moses represented the entire history of God's work on earth with people. The law was given through Moses. The way that we're supposed to interact with God and others came through Moses as God worked in and through him. So he represents that big, huge bulk of God's work in imparting those things to people. So he stands there as a representation of that work, the law. Then you've got Elijah who stands there as a representation of all those messengers, the prophets, that God sent over and over again to challenge his people, to woo them back, to confront them. Through thick and thin, Elijah did his work and his job. Both of of them mysteriously also kind of vanished from the planet. But you have this representation of the law and the prophets, and Jesus stands there as a way to fulfill all of that and bring it together, they are there as subordinates to him. They are there to meet with him on the mountaintop and he's the God figure. So there's a headline here that we can't miss because it has implications for all of us. If Jesus is God, dot, dot, dot. Here's what it means about his words. Here's what it means about his actions. Here's what it means about his teachings and all the implications that has for our daily life. Now, even for people, if you're here and you're like, I'm not really sure, I haven't really signed on the dotted line with the God thing, I've not really agreed to follow Jesus, this has implications for you too. This is worth checking out. This is a massive claim that these disciples are making. It's a massive claim that Jesus is making by showing himself like this. It is worth talking to him, reaching out to him, investigating, moving closer to see who God is because the implications are so big. Jesus is God. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3, say it very well. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through him also made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Jesus is God. Jesus is God, and that has implications for our lives. Another thing I think that is uh, important to note here in the text that we read is that fully seeing Jesus is a gift that only God can give. 
But it's important we realize this as human beings. When God shows himself to us, it's not on our terms according to our schedule and our desires. It's according to him. He shows himself to people on his time frame, how he wants to and to who he wants to. You'll notice the other disciples weren't there. It's not because he didn't care about them or didn't love them. He had a plan, and he knew what that plan was. He had a role for those three to play, and it was all framed around what he wanted to do in his vision of the present and the future. And a lot of times I think we struggle because we want this mountaintop experience so bad we can kind of come at him almost like we deserve it or, or, or we're, we're anxious about it, and we kind of try to force it to happen. And this is a gift that can only come from God. There's no formula we can plug in to make God do what we want him to do. There's no formula, behavior formula, or any other kind of a formula that we can execute to make him get shiny for us and to show him something that it's going to make me feel better about God, or it's going to help me with this doubt I have. That's not the way it works. They weren't asking for this, these, these disciples. Jesus decided to take them up there. And it's interesting too, because you'll, if you read through the gospels and you see the stories of Jesus' life, there were people that demanded things from him. The Pharisees demanded a sign and he didn't give it to them. He went back to his hometown and he did a few things, but people didn't really believe. They were kind of resistant. And so Jesus kind of held back. Who does he reveal himself to? People with open hearts. People that are sincere. People that are humble. People that are looking for him honestly. Those tend to be the attitudes where Jesus will step closer and show himself to. But the resistant and the demanding, often you see God in the whole, whole of scripture resisting that kind of attitude and hiding himself sometimes. It's his time frame. So they didn't ask Jesus to take him up on the mountain. It says in the very beginning of that text that Jesus took Peter, James, and John there. He initiated. He asked them for the long hike, and I'm sure it was a very long and difficult hike. He invited them to come. Their place was to agree. They went with him. Wherever he was taking them, for whatever reason, he wanted to take them there. They said yes, and they followed him. If you want to see Jesus, you have to seek Jesus. Not, not an experience, not a proof, not a sign. It's the seeking of Jesus himself that leads to the seeing of Jesus himself, to fully seeing and to being fully changed and becoming fully alive. Fully seeing Jesus is not fully understanding. I think that's very clear multiple places in this text. First of all, they get up there, they're seeing something that's undoubtedly God, undoubtedly supernatural, but they have no idea what's going on. They can't explain it, they can't describe it, and they don't even know what's happening. I don't know how they knew who Moses and Elijah were. Were they wearing name tags? Like, could they tell from like artist renderings? I don't know, but they knew. Maybe they figured that out later and Mark was like, oh, you figured Jesus told them and got down. Yeah, that was Moses. I don't know how they knew. Anyway, they knew. At some point they knew, but they didn't understand what was going on. They might've been pointing and nudging and whispering a whole lot, maybe speechless, who knows, but they didn't understand. And that's not where it ended. You see Jesus constantly trying to prepare them for what was to come by kind of saying, hey, I'm gonna die. I'm going to be subjected to suffering. I'm going to rise from the dead. And he would, at various places, he would be introducing this subject matter. Clearly, they weren't getting that. So they see him as God. 
Not, I mean, not fully as God. If he would have gone full shining on them, they wouldn't even be able to stand on the mountain probably. So he gives them just a glimpse of God and they didn't understand it. And then they're coming down and he makes a reference to rising from the dead and they're they're too nervous to bring it up. They're nudging. What is he talking about? He keeps bringing this rising from the dead thing up. I don't understand. Fully seeing Jesus is not necessarily fully understanding. They didn't know the scope of his plan. They didn't know the details. They didn't know what steps were to come. Jesus did. He showed them himself. But they still had to exist in that tension of, I gotta trust him. Because I don't know what his plan for my life is. I don't know how all the parts and pieces fit together yet. And if you read their stories as much as we have of them in the New Testament, they saw more and more, but that came with stepping. That came with following. It wasn't just revealed all at one moment. And I think we have to be careful not to confuse fully seeing him with fully processing everything correctly and getting all the details straight. And I know sometimes that can be frustrating because we want answers. We have questions, we want answers, we want proofs. We want things to be explained. We, We like things nice and tidy. Jesus' plan was not to explain. His plan was to show them who he was. I think that's an important detail for all of us not to miss. Will we let him take the lead and show us what he wants to show us when he wants to show it to us? Will we follow that process through knowing who we're following? That's what they did. They just kept following. They put one foot in front of the other. Yeah, they were talking about the things they didn't understand, but they followed him down the hill and they kept following him. And the days and the weeks after that when it was very, very difficult. Fully seeing him, I would suggest, for all of us, is more important than fully understanding him because his presence and knowing who he is means more than answers to questions. And I think the longer you walk with him, the more you will find that to be true as well. Then you have the voice of God, also reminiscent of the Old Testament, God would often come down in kind of a cloudy, described as kind of a cloud kind of environment, and he would speak. He would speak to Moses, he would speak to the people. So again, there's this thing reminiscent of God and him speaking. So God gives his approval to Jesus by by this cloud type of situation happening. He speaks audibly to them with an exclamation point and says, listen to him, listen to him. Fully seeing Jesus should lead to listening and trusting. It was very important to the Father to let them know you need to listen to him and you need to trust him. You need to listen to him and you need to trust him. And if you read the scriptures, the concept of listening in the scriptures is combined and inseparable with the concept of obeying. There's no such thing biblically as listening and not obeying. Listening is obeying. It's active listening. We hear and then we, we step. We obey. We trust God and we do what he's telling us to do. We trust his leadership. We trust his guidance, his knowledge, his wisdom, his goodness, and his purity. And in our blindness and limited sight, we step leaning on the eternal God and trusting him. And it's so important. Guys, you don't need to understand. Listen to him. He's not going to lead you astray. He's not going to take you to the wrong place. Listen to him and trust where he is taking you. Moses talked about this 
this, this time coming. He says in Deuteronomy 18, 15, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. This is all building up to this moment on this mountain. Fully seeing Jesus is preparation for what's to come. God knew that as they stood there watching an experience that they could not fathom or describe, he knew what was coming next. He knew that the disciples would watch their own people, whom God had entrusted his word to, reject Jesus, their teacher, their savior, and brutally murder him. God knew that was coming. He knew that the political kingdom, the system, the laws of the land would condone and approve the murder of their teacher who had done nothing but give and love and teach good things and show us God. God knew that was coming for them. So in that preparation for what was to come, God wanted them to see who he was on that mountain. So when they saw him on the next hill, they would remember who he was. When they saw the Jews reject him, when they saw the crowds, when he was stripped and bleeding and beaten, and they saw everyone around them, their kinsmen, their religious leaders, shouting for him to be killed, God wanted them to remember what they saw on that mountain. When they saw him hanging on that cross, breathing his last few breaths as everything they had hoped for seemed to be coming to a horrible end, the worst end, God wanted them to remember that time on the mountain when they saw who it was. So when they didn't understand what was happening, when they were grieving, when they were struggling, that they would remember, I don't know so much right now. I'm hurting, I'm confused, but I know this. I know he's God. I know he's God. So I'm gonna keep stepping even in unspeakably difficult moments where nothing is going right, where I can't create a picture in my head of how this turns out the way it's supposed to. God knew they needed that preparation. By the way, you read the scriptures, a lot of people are like, I want to see Jesus all shiny. That would be really awesome. Like, I would just, it would make my life so much better, be easier to talk to my friends about it, have this new level of confidence. You know, be careful what you wish for, because if you read through the scriptures, most of the people that had like shiny experiences or like crazy supernatural experiences with God, like real bad stuff happened to them. So maybe don't pray for that and don't, don't wish for that, because uh, maybe that would happen. God knew their faith would be tested. Jesus shows himself to us in just the ways that we need him to show himself to us in preparation for what we're about to face and what we are facing in this life. And of course, as we've been referencing, fully seeing Jesus leads to being fully changed. You can't be in the presence of God without it changing you. Just like Moses came down from the mountain and he was different and people noticed it. And that's God's plan. It's interesting that that same word for transfigured kind of ends up showing up in, different, in a different way in a couple passages, but so relevant, connects so well. Romans 12, 2 is one of those passages. Paul writes, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. God wants us to spend enough time with him where we begin to be shaped into the image that he dreamed up for us, shaped into the image that he died on the cross for us to be shaped into, and shaped into the image of Jesus. He wants to change us. So the more we step, the more we see him, the closer we get, he wants to change us into something even better. 
than in the season before. 2 Corinthians 3.18, similarly, with Old Testament imagery, Paul writes, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate or behold or reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. That, that word contemplate kind of has a bunch of different aspects to it. The more we hang out with him, it changes us, and we can't, it's, it's like a, a change in us that we can't hide from the world, and we don't want to hide it from the world. You know, don't hide the light under the bushel, let it shine. When we hang out with Jesus, there is a natural light that we don't try to produce, but we're spending time with God, we're getting close to him. That light will just start to shine because it's a reflection, not of us. It's a reflection of his light and his goodness. And it's a reflection the world desperately needs to see. So it's being fully changed for our own good, but it's also being fully changed for the world around us. Now I said we would keep that in view. So let's come back around to that picture from the top and that question. What does it take to get there? The inescapable thought for me, or one inescapable thought for me in in thinking about this was not even the mountaintop experience. Because I think we can all look at that, and like we talked about before, we want that. We want to experience it. We long for it. But we don't long for all the stuff that it takes to get there. And you have to remember where Jesus found these disciples. We talked about it way back in Mark 1. Way back in Mark 1, it was a very mundane, probably pretty smelly, fishy environment where they're doing their daily work and Jesus comes by and very simply says, come follow me. There was no shininess. There was no glamour. There was nothing crazy. There were no crowds around Jesus that day. He said to these guys, come follow me. Check this out. And it says in Mark 1, 18, that it all started when they just dropped their fishing nets and followed him. They trusted him. A lot of unknowns. This is worth checking out, they thought. This is worth seeing. I'm going I'm to see this through and see what's going on here. They stopped what they were doing and they devoted their attention to something they considered to be worth checking out and more important to determine the answer to than what they were doing. It starts in those moments. The mountaintop experiences start in the moments where we're willing to drop what we're doing. And if you watch how they followed him, they kind of just hung out with him. They watched him work. They were like on the front row of seeing him speak and heal and confront and challenge and blow their minds in a lot of ways. And they just kept hanging out with him. They kept following him. And then he said, climb this mountain with me. Not going to tell you what we're doing up there. Not going to tell you why we're doing it. I'm just going to initiate and say, hey, come with me. And again, I think that's easy to miss, climb the mountain. I couldn't help but think, I mean, climb a mountain? That's a huge job. I don't know how long it took them to get up there. They didn't have any like super sneakers or like hiking boots or anything. But they fought, they climbed that mountain with him because he said, come on, let's go up there. And they went with him. Not asking for anything, not knowing what the point was. They climbed with him. And they trusted him. And there was a lot of waiting. A lot of hoping for stuff and just waiting to see what the answers would be if they would come. It's not glamorous stuff. There aren't pictures of those things. But those were the steps they took that led them to the mountaintop experience. You don't have mountaintop experiences if you're not hanging out with Jesus, letting him lead. Many want to see something 
supernatural that proves something. But few will drop their nets. Many want to see something amazing and incredible. But few will follow, uncertain of where the destination is. Many want to see, but few are willing to climb that mountain with him. Many want to see, but few listen and obey. Many want to see, but few decide to trust him. Every time you talk to him, you increase your chances of seeing Jesus, fully seeing Jesus. And that's really the thing today. Increase your chances of fully seeing Jesus. And how can you do that? How do you get there? How do you get to that mountaintop? Increase your chances of fully seeing Jesus. When you talk to him, when you reach out to him with an open heart, that increases your chances. When you walk into a setting where the things of God are happening, like church or Bible study or young adult ministry or youth group or serving someone in Jesus' name, that increases your chances of fully seeing Jesus. Every time you open God's word and you're not sure what you're going to read, whether you're going to understand it, whether you're going to struggle with it, you increase your chances of seeing Jesus. Every time you are willing to set down your agenda and just trust him, sometimes blindly, to do what he says is right over what you feel like is right, you increase your chances of seeing Jesus. Every time you order your finances, not like the world does, but around God's priorities, you increase your chances of seeing Jesus. Every time you love someone in Jesus' name who is unlovable, that he's calling you to love, you increase your chances of seeing Jesus. Every time you're selfless, every time you forgive, every time you take abuse because of your faith, you increase your chances of seeing Jesus. Every time you do the hard thing in school when none of the other students are doing it, you increase your chances of seeing Jesus. Skip the nets, you don't get there. Skip the climb, you don't get there. It's a process. And we have to engage in the whole process with him, with him, in order to be able to fully see him. How will you increase your chances of seeing Jesus, your life as it stands right now? How will you increase your chances of seeing him? For some of you, maybe that's a first-time conversation where you reach out to him and have an honest conversation with him directly for the first time in your life, where you actually give your heart and life to him, you surrender it to him for the first time. That woman I talked about in the beginning, that a friend of mine from Riverside was with me and we were chatting with her. We got up to leave, we were on our feet, about to leave the room, and there was just something that struck me about her and I just felt like I needed to ask her, and it kind of came out in a clunky way, but I just, I kind of felt like I wanted to ask her just to see what she would say, because she was so alive. Her eyes were so bright, and she was so sharp, and she was so concerned about God's kingdom. She was so engaged in what God wanted to do in the world around her. She wanted to be part of that. At a time maybe when a lot of people would be happy to sit back, relax, or maybe kind of fade away a little bit, she was so alive and engaged. And it's such a desire to be part of, of what God wanted to do after having already lived a life of great accomplishment and service to God and his kingdom. And standing on my feet, we were about to walk out the door. I said, 
what's the secret? I said, you're so, and I was struggling for where you're, you're so engaged and you're, you're, you're so concerned about, you're so passionate about the things of God. What's the secret? And I'll never forget what she said to me. It's just stamped on me. So simple, but it made an impression. She said, I gave my life to Jesus a long time ago and I just let him lead it. As I stand here this morning, I want to get there. I want to get there. The simple things. I want to take those steps. I want to do what Jesus tells me to do. I just want to follow him to wherever he wants to take me to go. So that when I stand before him someday, it won't be a crazy sight. Because I will have already seen him. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And part of our response, part of our reflection this morning involves communion. Communion's beautiful to me because it's a very physical symbol. There's nothing magic about it. It's a physical symbol that allows us to interact with a very real spiritual truth. And we're gonna give you the opportunity to do that as we do on Sunday mornings here. If you're a follower of Jesus, I wanna invite you to partake of communion and the tables are at the four corners of the room. In a few minutes, we'll give you an opportunity to come forward and, and take communion. And hopefully you'll be able to sit down for a moment while the worship team plays and think and pray and reflect on what Jesus has done for all of us on that hill that he hung on to bleed for our brokenness and sin, to get our attention, to shout I love you, to give us a path into the life that he created for us to have. I hope you'll take some time to reflect on that. If you're here this morning, you're not a follower of Jesus, please just relax Enjoy yourself. Think, talk to God. You don't have to come forward and partake in communion. But it's here for us as an act of worship. But I encourage you, if you're here and you need to talk to Jesus this morning, I encourage you to take the next step in your relationship with him. Maybe that's a simple prayer where you say, God, here's my life. Here's my brokenness. Here's my confusion, my lack of understanding, my sin. Here it is. I'm just gonna give it to you. I wanna start this with you. Maybe you're here and you've got some things to like, be straight with him about. Maybe you've had some missteps and you've been approaching some things from, from a direction that you know is not healthy and it's not leading you in the right way. And maybe it's time for you to kind of say, God, I acknowledge and I ask for your forgiveness. I acknowledge I've not been living the kind of life that you want me to live and approaching you in the right way and, and doing this process in the right way. Help me. Maybe you're here today and that next step you need to take to increase your chances of fully seeing Jesus, maybe you are dreading it. Maybe it's difficult. Maybe it's hard. Maybe it involves trust. And your prayer is, Holy Spirit, give me the strength to take that next step so that I can be fully what you want me to be. So I want to ask you to stand, and I'm going to pray, and then we're going to have a chance to uh, worship and reflect and sing a little bit and take communion. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love for us. Jesus, I thank you for purposefully allowing all of us to be in this room together this morning. And as we gather around your table, I pray you would speak to us, that it would be meaningful to us this morning. Hear the prayers of the open-hearted and sincere people that reach out to you this morning and bless them with your presence, the response of your forgiveness, the response of your love, and Holy Spirit, the response of your strength. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at 
www.riversideconnect.org.